Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Well, hey, Lake Point family, I am extremely excited to announce the person that is bringing us the Word of God today. It is a special time anytime we get to hear the Word of God preached to us with truth and clarity, but it is especially awesome when we hear it from a son of this house, Lake Point Church. The man that is opening us the scriptures today uh, started working at Lake Point when he was 21 years old and just crossed his 15th year on staff at Lake Point. Lake Point family, would you please put your hands together and help me give a warm Son of the house, welcome to former Forney campus pastor, current lead pastor of creative at Lake Point, Chris Berkeley. Well, good morning, good morning, Lake Point. Hey, it's good to see you. Man, if you're joining at any of our campuses or you're hopping in online from anywhere across America or across the world, man, let us just tell you how welcome, how grateful we are that you're here. Man, happy belated Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving day. Hope you got to eat a lot of turkey and you got to watch our Cowboys win. If you're in the Dallas area, you know that's a good day. You know that's a good day. Hey, we are wrapping up a series today that we've been calling Try Love. And the entire basis of this series has been that love will make you do some crazy things. That in the eyes of the world, the way that believers in Jesus show love, man, it should be extraordinary in the eyes of the world. And so today, what I want us to look at is I want us to look at this idea that's talked about all throughout scripture, that like legit from Leviticus all the way through to the New Testament, there is this recurring theme that as followers of Jesus, as believers of God, that we are to be the greatest neighbors in the entire world, that we're to love our neighbors, the scriptures tell us. And so I want to ask this question, like, are we really that? Like, are we the greatest neighbors in all the world? Would your neighbors say that? Now, you may be like, Chris, I don't need this sermon, man. I am the greatest neighbor in my neighborhood. I keep my yard super tidy. My Christmas lights are already hung. I got my 20-foot tall inflatable Santa in my front yard. You know who you are that have those inflatable Santas. Take them down, all right? Those things are disgusting, all right? No. But like, you may already be saying, hey, I'm great at this, but here's what I want you to know. I went to the leading authority on who the greatest neighbors in all of history is. I went to the leading authority Google.com, and they told me who the greatest neighbors were, and check this out, that Christians did not even make the top 10 list, but I wanna show you who did. This first person, man, he's a neighbor some of you may know. Let's go and put up that picture of this first neighbor that took the top 10 list. Y'all remember this guy? Now, I wanna tell you something funny. Today, I asked one of our younger staff members, hey, do you know who this guy is? And her response was, oh, isn't that guy from a really old TV show? I was offended, y'all. I'm like, all right, listen. Hey, I'm in my 30s, but somehow I have officially become old. You know Steve Urkel, right? The neighbor of Carl Winslow, Family Matters, one of the greatest neighbors of all time. He's not the greatest one, though. There's a couple more. Let's go to the next one. You remember this guy? <laughs> Mr. Wilson, Tim, the tool man, Taylor's neighbor. Bro, this guy was doing the COVID thing, like half his face covered before COVID was in style. He would have loved the past few years of our life, right? But what was he always doing? He was giving wisdom to Tim. He was giving insight to Tim. He was considered one of the greatest neighbors in history, says Google. But this is what was interesting. The greatest neighbor, says Google, was not even a person. It's a company that when they come into town, they make everything better. Show the greatest neighbor of all. How many of y'all, y'all agree, <laughs> right? 
Like who doesn't love a little bit of Christian chicken and some waffle fries, right? Like when Chick-fil-A comes in town, they're gonna provide a great meal, great service, but you may not know this. Not only are they gonna provide an incredible meal, but Chick-fil-A will protect you. You might not have known this. That a couple months ago, when a man was trying to carjack a car that was in line at a drive-thru, Chick-fil-A took care of business. Check this out. Bro, that dude has got him in like a chokehold, headlock. I don't know if you could hear it or not. Like legit, this was a real story that happened. This man's trying to carjack a car in line. The Chick-fil-A employee grabs him, puts him in a suplex, puts him in a chokehold. I don't know if you could hear it, but he's whispering in his ear, it's my pleasure when he's gonna choking that bro out. <laughs> like Chick-fil-A will take care of business. But here's what I'm asking. Like they're a great neighbor, but why in the world As followers of Jesus, are we not known as the greatest neighbors in the entire world? Like Jesus made a specific point about this. In Matthew chapter 22, listen to what he says. He's being asked, hey, what are the greatest commandments? Like, is it the murder one? Like, that's a good commandment. Is that the greatest of all of these? Uh, Maybe it's the lying one. Maybe that should be the greatest commandment of all. But he says, no, those aren't the greatest. Let me tell you what is. Jesus replies in Matthew 22 to the question of what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So like, when I read this, I'm going, man, this is like our thing. As believers in Jesus, we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love our neighbors extremely well. Like this should be the thing that we're known for. So why, when I Google it, does it not just pop up face after face of believers that are the greatest neighbors in the world? That maybe we've got a problem that we need to fix to regain and reclaim this title that is rightfully ours of the greatest neighbors in existence. Now, I know you're gonna be asking that question like, well, who is my neighbor? We're gonna get to that in a bit, but I want you to think about specific today, the place that God has placed you, like your residence. Maybe that's an apartment. Maybe that's an end of the cul-de-sac. Maybe that's a house in your community. Think about where God's placed you. Because what I wanna argue today is that we've got to begin to regain that title of the greatest neighbor in the world. We gotta recognize our role. That's the first thing that we're gonna do. To reclaim the title of the greatest neighbors in the world, we gotta recognize our role. See, what we're gonna find in Acts chapter 17, and if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip it over there, is that God has done far more than what you might have realized at placing you exactly where you are and the people around you exactly where they are. So when we think about neighbors today, man, I wanna think about legitimate, the neighbors that are around you. 24-7, they're living in the houses around you, they're living in the apartment complex down the way from you. Who are the neighbors that God has placed in your life? I want you to begin thinking about that. And as we dive into Acts chapter 17, I think what we're gonna find is that God had far more to do with where you live than what you might realize. So we're picking up this story and we pick it up with a man named Paul. Now, if you've been at church anytime, you know a little bit about the story of Paul, that when we meet him, his entire job was to persecute and martyr and murder Christians. Now, Paul's story gets radically changed by Jesus and he converts him to a believer in him and one of the greatest evangelists this world's ever known. So Paul's story was not too far gone as a murderer of Christians. So God is in the business of shaping lives that seem like they're too far gone. There's nothing too far gone for God. So he begins to work in Paul's life in this radical moment. And Paul begins to go into all the earth, teaching about who Jesus is and telling everyone the good news of what God came to do. 
So man, when we meet Paul in Acts chapter 17, he's in the middle of his second missionary journey. And for those of us that are a little bit new to this church thing, man, Paul believed it, that there was no neighbor too far gone for the love of Jesus. So he took the message of Jesus all over the world. That's what this missionary journey was all about, him taking the good news and taking it out. So we greet him as he enters into Athens. Now, you gotta know some things about Athens. That this was a highbrow society in Athens. This was the center of intellectual thought. Many of the philosophers that we have studied across history came from Athens. That they really, they thought of themselves in this position as well. It was a place of free thought and new idea, but also of great affluence. Uh, Athens would be like in Texas if we took Highland Park and we took Austin and we mushed them together and they had a baby and out pops Athens, right? That it's like hippies driving Land Rovers everywhere across Athens, all right? That lots of new ideas, lots of new thoughts, they were intellectuals in this area. And so when Paul comes in and begins to tell this new story, man, they're intrigued by it. So he's put in front of a council that is marked with holding the culture and holding the education of this city. And I want you to hear what Paul says to them. You see, up to this point, the Athenians would have believed that they were there by fate or by chance, that God had placed them where he is, as this, no, not God, I'm sorry, that they had been placed there by the gods, by fate or by chance to be able to be this intellectual leader, yet Paul is going to rearrange their thought. Acts chapter 17, Paul says, the gods who made the world and everything in it is the, the God, keep messing up my S's here today, y'all, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself, everyone, life and breath and everything else. That check out what this would have done. For the Athenians of that day, man, what they were seeing all around them, we see them in history books, the carved gods of Greece. We see them all throughout scripture of that they would give idolatry and they would give sacrifices to these gods that were not the true God. So whenever Paul comes to say, man, the God that I'm talking about did not come to be served, but to serve and to give life and breath and everything else, this would have turned the thinkings of the Athenians on their head. Verse 26, Paul continues. He says, from one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed time in history and the boundaries of their land. See, this would have been this moment that the Athenians were saying, no, 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 we were placed here by fate and chance. But Paul says, that's not true. God has put you in this particular time in history. He has marked the boundaries of your land. He has put you exactly where he wants you for this specific reason. Verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have even said, we are his offspring. You see, God chose this moment in time for Athens to be exactly where it was in this particular moment of history. Why? So that they might find him. And Lake Point, what I wanna argue to you today is that perhaps that same story is true of where you live. Then check out again what it says in verse 26. It says that he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. That you think about this. That maybe you thought, man, I just got a great deal on this house in the middle of the market bust. Oh, maybe I just got a great deal of this when the interest rates were low. That's the reason I'm in the home I'm in. And Paul would go, no, 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 no. God has appointed this time in history. He has drawn the boundaries of your land for a specific reason 
Man, so that you might know me more, so that you might know how to love me more, that you might be deeper in love with Jesus because of where I have you. But then it gets a step deeper. That it's not only you he's put in that place, but he has sprinkled the people all around you in your neighborhood for that particular reason. That have you ever thought about this, that perhaps God put the neighbor across the street exactly where he put them so that that person might come to know him. And maybe he's gonna use you to be a part of that story that we've got to begin recognizing our role, that it was more than just a good deal that got us at the end of the cul-de-sac, but perhaps by the hand of the mighty God and his divine appointment, he placed you exactly where he wants you to begin being the light to the community that he's placed you in. So man, for us to regain that title of the greatest neighbors in the world, we gotta recognize our role in the place that God has put us in. Second, we gotta do this, we gotta learn to love our neighbors that we've gotta learn what does it look like to really love the people that are around us each and every day, the people that live across the street, the people that live to our left and our right, what does that look like to begin to really love our neighborhood? And I got a test for you today, all right? So we gotta have a little homework. We're out of Thanksgiving break, so it's time for some homework, all right? Go ahead and put that grid up on the screen. I want you to see something, that I want you today when you get home to draw a tic-tac-toe board and put your house in the middle. Now, the challenge is this, can you fill in the blanks on every single square with the neighbor's names that live around you? So across the street, you fill in the bottom row. Left and right, can you put the names in? Behind you, if you have an alley, you can extend it further down your street. You get the point of this. Man, can you fill in the names of all of the neighbors? Because to love someone, to begin with, you gotta know their name. That it's awfully hard to pour love on people if you don't even know their name. So what if this was the first step? My wife and I, we did this not too long ago. So go ahead and put up the filled in gap. So we begin to work to know our neighbor's name. So directly across the street from us is a lady named Liz. To my left and my right, I got Dawn and Martin, two gentlemen that are awesome guys. On my left side of my house, I've got uh, Les, I've got um, Elise and John. I've got Stephen on his side. I've got Leslie down the street from us. You're gonna know her name in a little bit. We got Chase and Emily. They just had a new brand new baby. So congrats, Chase and Emily. Um, and this is the cool part, that when you begin to get to know the people in your neighborhood, you begin to see little needs that as believers in Jesus, we can jump in and fill. I have Zelda that's across the street from us. Zelda's an older lady that loves Jesus tremendously. But at certain times, we'll call Zelda and go, hey, Zelda, we're heading to the store. Anything we can get for you? And let me just be honest. My wife is way better at this stuff than I am. So when I say we, that's really Megan calls Zelda. And is like, hey, Zelda, I'm going to the store. Anything I can help with today? Uh, and so, man, we have a chance and an opportunity to do unique things, to do kind of crazy things in the terms of love for the neighbors that God's placed around us. Chase and Emily, I told you they just had a baby. So what does Megan do? Megan's already getting together a little gift for their baby for Christmas to let them know that, man, we love you, we're here for you, anything we can do to help. That Megan, my wife and I, we try our hardest to love our neighbors extremely well. So what would that look like? For you to begin knowing the names of your neighbors, if you can't fill out the grid, this is a great exercise to do with your family when you get home today. Bring your kids involved. It's a great family exercise to begin to go, man, we wanna love our neighbors well. It begins by knowing their name. The second thing, to love our neighbors well, is that, man, we gotta begin to slow down. Now, when I say this, I believe it with all my heart that as a society, we got a problem with slowing down that we typically wake up and we go, we got 16 hours of day, what can I cram into these 16 hours of day? And so I wanna tell you a little bit about what some of your story may look like. The alarm hits, 
We pop out of bed. We begin getting ready. We put on our makeup. For some of us, some of us, we just get dressed and do our hair. We chug the coffee because there's not enough time to actually sit down and have breakfast. We got things to do. We got chores to do. We got bills to pay. We got things to do. Let's get moving. So we get our kids out of bed. We get them dressed. We do feed them breakfast because that's important, right? We put them in the car. We take them to school. We drop them off at school to get to work on time. And then work happens, man. And that's eight hours of meeting after meeting, Zoom call after Zoom call, text, emails. We eat lunch at our desk because that's the most efficient way to do it. We get out of work right on time. We head to the gym where we listen to the audiobook at two times the speed because that's a little bit more efficient, right? We then pick our kids up. We take them. We get them to soccer. We put them in bed. We go home. We start cleaning the house. We get them fed. Oh, we forgot to feed the kid. Get the kid out of bed. Feed the kid. Put the kid back in bed, right? We go through the motions of this whole day, clean up the house, prep for the next day. And then finally, we collapse on the couch and we put on Netflix. And then the next day, and the next day, we do it over and over. It's like Groundhog Day of the busyness of this life. Now, how many of you in this room and across all of our campuses online raise a hand if that story sounds something like your story? That you look around the room, hey, we're all guilty, right? There's a lot of us guilty. Some of you, I saw this up and down, like I ain't gonna tell it for long. (laughs) This idea, man, that we are busy, busy people and I have this question. Like, are we slowing down enough to make the people that God has placed directly around us a priority in our life? They're like, are we slowing down enough that if it's true that, man, we have been saved by a great God and we're to tell that message forward and we're to love our neighbors, neighbors well, like, is there even time in our calendar? See, I think we got a problem that we pack so much in, yet we don't prioritize the truth that if heaven or hell are real, some of our neighbors don't know Jesus yet. Some of the people that we interact with at work don't know Jesus yet. And so if heaven and hell is real, then man, we gotta have a priority of letting those who don't know yet about him begin to know. And so man, I wanna do a little bit of math today. Once again, I already gave you homework. Now we're gonna do math. Thanksgiving break's over for all of our high school and middle schoolers. You're going back to school tomorrow, so get ready for it, all right? So let's do a little bit of math today. Now, there are 168 hours in the week. That's 24 hours times seven equals 168 hours in the week. Now, how many hours a day are we supposed to sleep? Eight? Yeah, some of you are like, but bro, let's be real. I sleep four hours. And if that's you, you need more sleep. You're crazy, all right? So eight hours times seven days a week equals 56 hours of sleep, all right? Then a lot of us, we work full-time jobs. There's some of us that are stay-at-home moms or dads, and we realize that's like 168 hours a week. We praise you for what you do, all right? Now, For those of us that are in the workforce, right, we work about, let's call it 45 hours a week just for the sake of argument. Some of us are 50, some of us are 40. Let's call it 45, which leaves a remaining 67 hours in your week. That this is 67 hours that you get to control to say yes or no to the things that you do. And I really believe it, that like the art of being an incredible neighbor, it is found in those 67 hours, that the art of being an incredible husband or an incredible wife, to, to loving your kids well is found in these 67 hours. That far too often I think we take those 45 hours of work and we're very intentional with what happens in those 45 hours. We make sure we got the right meetings scheduled, the right project management systems running. Like we're making sure that we're running the systems needed. Why? Because we get a paycheck for it. But man, what would happen if we took some of that same intentionality and we placed it on the 67 hours a week that honestly could change the world. That like, what would happen if you began to take your calendar and you said, man, I'm gonna devote part of my 67 to loving those who are far from Jesus. And maybe that looks like inviting them over for a meal. And you might have to have this conversation with your kids of like, hey, we're gonna invite some neighbors over that may use some language that mom and dad don't agree with. 
But our job is not to be the moral police. Our job is to love those who are far from Jesus. So we're gonna begin to intersect ourselves into their story. What would it look like this Christmas season? Like legit, if you and your family began, you know, sometimes you bake treats for friends. What if you did that for the neighborhood? As an easy way for you to begin to get to know your neighbors and just show that you care. You see, we've got to begin slowing down for us to see the people the way that Jesus sees people. You see, there's this moment in scripture where the religious leaders are asking Jesus this question and they're like, hey man, who, who is our neighbor? Like, is, is it just anybody? Who, who is our neighbor? And instead of answering him directly, he begins to tell a story that many of you heard before. He tells about a Jewish man that was walking down the road and he was robbed and he was beaten and he was left for dead on the side of the road. Following after this, a priest walks by and he sees this man bruised and broken and he turns his cheek and walks the other way. Followed behind it's a Levite, a man that knows the scriptures, he knows the law. He looks on this broken man and he just continues to walk. But then the character that Jesus introduces, man, this would have been crazy to hear in this moment. This would have been a radical kind of love. He introduces a Samaritan man, a man that was not like the Jew. In fact, the two did not get along. Samaritans and Jews, you would have never seen them hanging out and having coffee. That's not what they would have done. They didn't like each other. They had opposite viewpoints. Yet the Samaritan man looks over and he sees this Jewish man bruised and broken and left for dead. And instead of walking past, he kneels down. And he begins to clean the wounds of this man. He begins to bandage the wounds of this man. He picks this man up and he sits him on a donkey and he takes him to an inn close by. He stays there with him and helps nurse this man back to health for a night. And then he tells the innkeeper, hey, leave him here for another night. I will pay his bills and any other charges he incurs, I'll be back and I'll settle up with you. And Jesus asked the men like, which one of these was the neighbor? And they said, the man that had mercy. See, what I think Jesus is teaching in this moment is that for us to be a great neighbor, it may require us to get into the dirt of other people's lives. It may require us to slow down enough so that we see those who are hurting and we dive in. Here's what you're gonna find out, that when you take that opportunity to slow down a bit, what you're gonna find is that neighbors all around you, they think differently than you, they look differently than you, they may even vote different than you. But here's what we know is that these are the folks that Jesus came to die for, that he loves tremendously. What you're gonna find when you begin learning the stories of your neighbors is that there is that one odd neighbor, you all know him. If you don't know him, you may have just found out something new about yourself today, and that's all right, we still love you here, all right? But you're gonna begin unpacking these stories of the men and the women that are around you. You're gonna find that there's doctors and there's lawyers that are living around you. There's teachers and there's baristas that are living around you. There's crooks and there's cynics that are living around you. There's those who society would say are upstanding and those who would say, society would say, man, they're a little bit lost. But here's what I want you to see is that God is not looking through the lens of are they good or are they bad? He is looking through the lens of do I know them yet? And I want you to hear this late point, that Jesus came to die for every neighbor that you have. There's not one of them that was outside of his grace. So hear this, that it is our job to take that message forward because if Jesus is not done with your neighbors, then we can't be done with our neighbors either. So I want you to hear this today, that man, we have a calling to slow down to begin to learn how to love our neighbors extremely well. And the third way that we're gonna do that is that we gotta begin telling them about the things that we love. So every single year at Lake Point, uh, we put out Christmas signs and Easter signs 
every time ahead of these major holidays. And we ask our people to go ahead and put those out in your yard. And so you can put that picture up of the yard sign. And so this year we stuck out our Easter sign. This is a few years back at Lake Point. And every year, you know, we put up the sign in our front yard. We let people know about Easter. We begin inviting our neighbors, inviting our friends. And so fast forward a couple months after Easter and we're driving down the street, Megan, myself and our kids. And we see Leslie, one of our neighbors, one of the ones that was on my grid walking down the street. So we slow down. We roll the windows down. We all say, hey, Leslie, good to see you. And she goes, hey, 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 random question. I saw this yard sign in your yard a couple of months ago, and I've been meaning to ask you this. Do you know anything about Lake Point Church? <laughs> I'm like, well, I've only worked there half my life, but yeah, go ahead and let me, let me answer a few things about it, right? I'm like, oh, absolutely, we know about Lake Point Church. What can we do? She goes, well, like, is it a good church? And I'm like, well, no, I didn't say that at all. I'm like, no, oh my goodness, let me tell you about Lake Point. Let me tell you about the way that this church, that God has used it to change our story. Let me tell you about the way that every single weekend my kids are saying, man, can we go to church and hear more about who Jesus is? Like that doesn't happen normal, that's not normal. But let me tell you about those stories. Let me tell you about how I got to baptize my son at Lake Point because God has been working in the stories of our life through our church. Let me tell you about a place that I love and so my wife takes it a step further and she says, hey, you know what? If you wanna go this weekend, I'd love to meet you there. We normally attend a different campus, but I'd love to meet you at the White Rock campus. It's pretty close to our house. My wife and I, we live in East Dallas. And so Leslie says, yeah, I'd love to do that. So that weekend, Megan meets her. And Leslie, if you're watching this today, man, just want to tell you how much we're excited that you're part of the Lake Point family because her story went like this. She got there. She got involved in a life group. She went to Next Step class. She began to uh, serve in our kids' ministry. She joined in membership. There are times I'm driving down my street and there are cars littering the street because Leslie's holding a life group fellowship at her house. So Leslie, thanks for jumping in full bore, right? Like That's exciting. And it, and it happened because my wife slowed down enough to get to know Leslie, to know a little bit more about her story. It happened because we began to tell her about the thing that we love. All the time, I get asked questions. As an East Dallas resident, everybody assumes that you know all the good food spots, and I do, all right? So I tell all my neighbors. I tell them about Smoky Rose, like the greatest patio in all of Dallas. Hey, if you wanna go get good coffee, you gotta go to Cultivar Coffee. It's the best coffee in East Dallas. Make sure you go to these things. It's normal for us to tell about the things that we love. Yet how infrequent is what Jesus is doing in us and what Jesus is doing through our church at the tip of our tongue. Like what would it look like if we took the same intentionality with the way that we tell about the great mechanic in town or we tell about the best hospital in town to really tell our neighbors about the thing that has eternal significance, not just a great cup of joe. What would it look like if we began to tell people about the thing that we love. See, here's what I know, is that we've gotta begin recognizing our role. We gotta begin learning how to love our neighbors extremely well. But I think there's also a mindset shift for us to be great neighbors, that we've got to begin carrying a debt of love. To listen to what Romans chapter 13 says. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. That we gotta begin carrying this debt of love. That there's many of us in this room today, man, and we know Jesus. We've been saved by Jesus, we've been set free. We have experienced the joy of salvation. And there's some of you that you're still working that out. And here's what I want you to know, that man, Lake Point is a safe spot for you to continue working out what it looks like to know Jesus. 
that this is a place that you can, you can be a part of before you know who Jesus is. We want you here. We want this to be a safe spot for that. But there's some of us right now that, man, we know him. We've been changed by him. We're forever changed. And are we carrying the debt of love that scripture commands us to? That what it looks like to carry the debt of love is for us to constantly be remembering what Jesus did for me. To constantly be remembering that Jesus came when I was far from him, he came to give me life. And when you begin to think about what that looks like, it should shift something in your mind to where you see yourself as a part of this rescue mission. That God came from heaven to earth. We're about to begin celebrating that through Advent, through Christmas. He came as a way for us to have life. And so, man, as we slow down this season, and for some of us, you're like, man, how do I slow down in the Christmas season? I wanna give you a couple quick ways. That next week, at every single one of our campuses, you're gonna see house signs and you're gonna see invite cards that are sitting out for you to take. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do over these next seven days. Would you begin praying about who God is calling you to begin inviting and begin telling your story about who Jesus is to you over these next seven days? The next weekend, when you see the piles of invite cards out in the house signs, don't just give it the cold shoulder and like just walk right past it, right? Stop grab a few, take them and begin going, God, who can I give these to? Who are the people in my everyday life? And maybe they're a part of your 45 hours in your week. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend. We begin to tell the people in our story about the thing that we love. Next weekend, we're gonna give you a really easy opportunity to. People will come to a Christmas service unlike anything else. They may just be an invite away. You gotta recognize that we carry a debt of love and some of the way we carry that is through the actions that we need to take. I wanna tell you a story about a, a lady named Ida Lewis. Now, you may not know her name, but Ida changed history for many. Uh, Ida lived in the mid-1800s. So if you didn't know who Urkel was, I guarantee you, you don't know who Ida is, all right? But Ida lived in the mid-1800s, and she was the daughter of a man and a woman who ran a lighthouse in Rhode Island. So her entire life, she grew up learning how to keep the lighthouse she would learn how to fill the oil to keep the flame burning. She would learn how to blow the flame out in the mornings to save the oil for night. That her job and her identity was locked inside of this lighthouse as a safe place for the sailors to be able to see the shore in the midst of storms. So as Ida grew up, she began to realize and recognize like her job was not just to keep the lighthouse, but man, it was to be on a rescue mission. At the early age of 12, she began seeing how sailors would get stuck in the currents or stuck in a storm. And Ida would jump into a rowboat. She would row out to sea and save these sailors. One of her most heroic acts came in March when there was a blizzard coming down. And there's a painting actually that was painted to portray this. And Ida gets in her rowboat in the middle of a storm, in the middle of great waves and a great calamity, like Ida puts her own life on the line rose out to save two soldiers and a man. Later, Ida was asked, like, what drives you to do these things? And Ida looked a little confused. She's like, man, it's, it's just what you do. What, what it drives me to do this, man? Like, it's just what we do. We're here to help and, and serve others. See, what you might not have known about Ida's story is that she came to know Jesus at some point in her story. So there was a deeper burden on her soul of man, what her job was to do. That she was gonna keep the lighthouse burning, but that wasn't gonna stop her from getting outside the comfort of the house that she was in and beginning to go on a rescue mission. That, that I wonder what that would look like for us. 
As followers of Jesus, as believers in him, what would it look like if we left the comfort and the safety of the home that God's placed us in and we began to get in a rowboat to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to those who are far from Jesus? Because those who have been saved from much, we carry a debt of love. And that debt needs to be carried in a, in a really w- real way. So what would that look like in this season? Man, for those who have received much to then give much. For us to serve our neighbors in a way that's real, in a way that's tactile, in a way that they would recognize the God that we serve and the God that we love. They would take notice and perhaps God uses you to change their story. Man, let this be a challenge to you this holiday season, not to waste it, but to use every moment of it as a chance to let God's glory be on display. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you. Thank you for stories that we can hear all throughout scripture of how you use men and women like us to do your work. And God, I'm praying that you would light up something like in our family again this Christmas, that you would light up something in my family to reach our neighbors and to reach those that are far from Jesus with your love. God, I pray for our church right now as we enter into this Advent season, as we realize, man, that you are the hope of the world. Jesus, I pray that that hope would be something that we carry forward, that we would carry it to each neighbor and each friend, each relative, each person that is far from Jesus, Lord, that you would use us to be a part of their story of redemption and of drawing them back to you. God, I pray that our light would shine among men so they would see our deeds and they would praise you because of it. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.